encourage you to go and sign up for that uh, discipleship program. Um, but I'm excited to talk tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6 today. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 8. And I'm excited about this message. I feel like this is a, a message that, um, that I'm very passionate about. It's a, it's a topic that I think if we could get this topic, that, that our families, our, our workplaces, our schools, I think if we get this topic, it is actually the, the bedrock for healthy evangelism and, uh, and really just expanding God's kingdom. Um, and so before I get into it, though, I'll, uh, I want to tell a story. So like, have you been like at Christmas and like somebody, maybe you're young, remember, maybe it was you, but you open up a present and like the person opening the present seems more disappointed than when they opened the present. Like once they saw the present, they were like, wow, I wish I just would never have even opened this in the first place. You know what I'm saying? And so I, you know, I have a story. I was like, I had to be in like 12 years old and we were with this big, it's big like birthday gathering for me and my younger brother, Joey, whose birthday is three days away from mine. And, and I remember like opening the cards, right? And so I, and you usually open the cards randomly. And so I opened one of the cards and my uncle had given me like 20 bucks. When you're 12 years old, 20 bucks is like a lot of money. You know what I mean? So like, I was like super excited and super pumped to get this $20. And then I opened up my, my, another card from my, another one of my aunts and uncles and I opened it up and I'm like, man, maybe everyone's gonna give me money. And I just literally, I still remember this so clear as day, like opening it up and like having a disgusted look on my face when there was no money <laughs> in the card. You're just like, words? Like, you just, give me the $3 that you spent on the card. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> And I just remember, I'm just, that's what it goes through a 12-year-old's mind. Anyway, I just remember that feeling of, of, of disappointment, and ultimately, I think it's a, it's a part of human nature, which is, an, it is entitlement, that, that is one of the most disgusting aspects of humanity, which is when you expect something from someone else that you don't even deserve, and, and it becomes a part of who you are, and entitlement is, is one of the worst qualities that we could ever fall into, and it's so easy to fall into it. It's just this entitlement um, a mindset that we deserve things um, and, and whatnot. And so with that, today, we're going to be talking about contentment, um, the art of being content. And so, like I said, we'll be in 1 Timothy 6, and I'm just going to read it to you and kind of set up the context of 1 Timothy a little bit, and then I think it'll play out and it'll teach us a lot just about how to how to live a life that's meaningful before God. And so kind of the, con the context is you have um, kind of two factions in this church, in this city, where you have Christians that are true Christians, like friends with the Apostle Paul, and then really underneath Timothy, who is the leader of the church. And then there's another set of Christians in, in the city who are kind of like, it's like the denominations, you know, like when you go on around here, you have like this church that has beef with this church, and you know, and it's like, why, why are Christians have beef? But it was happening back then too. And so you have these Christians that were, that were a spinoff of the true, genuine Christian church, and they're having these arguments, and Paul is addressing some of the mindsets in this, in this unhealthy section of Christianity in, in, this, in this context. And so this is what he says about these other people. Who, who are, in a sense, pretending to be Christian. It says, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth 
and who think, this is kind of what we'll focus on, that godliness is a means to financial gain. So these people, these, these other Christians, quote-unquote, view their godliness as a way to get ahead. They view their godliness as a way to benefit them in the material world. And so they view it, godliness, as a means to financial gain. But it says in verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You see the contrast? One person is using godliness to financial gain, and he's saying, but godliness with contentment is great gain, comparing it to financial gain. So you think that godliness or finances that, couple, that are coupled with godliness is great gain, that if you would learn the art of contentment, it would actually be more beneficial, there would be more blessing, there would be more peace, there would be more joy, there would be more of the gift and the grace of God on your life if we learn to couple our godliness with contentment. Or thankfulness or gratitude, we'll we'll break it down later on. It says in verse 7, a really important perspective, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And so what we see there is that that contentment is, if we can learn the art of contentment, it actually goes beyond this life. If you learn contentment, you will store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that won't, that won't rust out. You will store up for yourselves rewards in heaven that will last beyond your final breath. Whereas financial, like financial blessings and getting finances and getting money, getting cash, getting rich will ultimately leave Your hands, when you die, you cannot take that beyond your last breath. And so you you see the contrast here? He's he's contrasting these two ideas of financial gain, but spiritual gain. Financial gain versus spiritual gain. And it says in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Not a very popular American message. (laughs) That if we have food and clothing, the Christian will be content with that. It reminds me of the, the, the uh, Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It says, God, give us today our daily bread. He, he doesn't say give us today, right, all the financial blessings. The Christian promise is that you'll have everything you need, not everything you want. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't get things that we enjoy. We should enjoy, thing, enjoy life to the full, but not at the expense of contentment. And so this is kind of our our passage. We'll be focusing in on verse 6, this idea that but godliness with contentment is great gain. And kind of our main kind of point that I'll be zeroing in on as we continue into other passages is that Jesus is the greatest teacher of contentment. That you can learn from me, you can learn from books, you can learn from inspirational messages, you can learn from a lot of things, but Jesus has the greatest teaching on contentment in the scriptures, but also as, as a relationship with Jesus, he is the one who teaches us how to be content. And so we're going to flip to to, to 1 Timothy uh, 6 verse 5. So these guys were viewing godliness as a means to financial gain. And I won't go off on a tangent, but I'll just mention there are a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers in America that are on YouTube and on Instagram. And I'm telling you, I'm not naming names because I don't know people's hearts. 
But if you can sniff it, and it's, if it smells like bacon, it might be bacon. You know what I'm saying? Like if you sniff it out and you smell it, you might want to put up a red flag of people who use Christianity to make money. They use the message and they use the person of Jesus to pull young people in specifically to their version of Jesus in order to get subscribers, in order to get views, in order to get at, like all, in order to sell their books, in order to do all these things. There are people, there are wolves in our culture today who use Jesus as a means to financial gain. And if you sniff that out, I urge you, don't rebuke them publicly and, and, and say, I know their motive. But as an individual person, you need to say, you know what, I, this doesn't seem right. I'm going to use my discernment and my judgment, and I'm, I'm going to not listen to what they have to say. I'm going to go find somebody who, who seems to be more genuine, authentic to the message of Jesus, which is to forsake my life instead of advance my message, my image, my brand and using Jesus to do it. Raise your hand if you've ever sniffed that out before. You sniff that out. It's good. Let's continue to do that because the, the true, genuine Jesus, if, you're, if Jesus is your master, yes, you can still make money, but specifically as a preacher or as, a, as an influencer using the name of Jesus, I'm very cautious with people who are selling their merch, their brand, and, and doing what they can to hustle um, with Jesus' name on it. You know what I'm saying? And I think this verse is, it's crazy that it was happening back then too. Sometimes we think these are all 2021 problems, but there's nothing new under the sun. The, the, the heart is deceitful above all else, and the same deceit that was back then is still alive and lurking today. And I think this is just, it's a good, it's a good reminder, like a little pause of a, cultural, a culturally relevant idea that we can glean from. And so, what we see here, though, is that they were using Jesus to, gain, to get money. They were using Jesus to take tithes and take offerings and, take, you know, and get money and extort money from people. And he says, so who think that godliness is a means to financial gain? And what, what I want to say about that, Jesus, they're using him as a means to an end. Jesus is not a means to an end. This, this passage is teaching that Jesus is the end. He's teaching that Really, that Jesus, that this godliness with contentment is like a gift. And that oftentimes we view contentment, these types of disciplines as young people, like, right, be more content, be more thankful, do this, do that, do that, do that, be about, like, like prove yourself to God. What we don't realize, what this verse in this passage actually teaches us is that God isn't trying to make you more disciplined in your thankfulness, He's actually wrapping this up saying that actually learning the art of contentment is like a gift. And if you can learn the art and couple it with godliness, meaning a pursuit of righteousness, if you can, you can couple godliness with learning the art of contentment, you will actually, it'll be a gift that'll never run dry. It'll be a gift that keeps on giving. It'll be a perspective that will give you spiritual health and peace. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be as if God gives you a new gift every single day because there's something special inside of contentment that the world doesn't know, that is not natural to our instincts, and that is so special to Jesus that he, that he brings it out in this teaching that we'll read about in Matthew 6 later on. And so God, Jesus is not a means to an end, meaning that Jesus is not a means to have peace, relationship with Jesus is what brings peace. 
that you don't go to Jesus so you can just go to heaven. He is not a means to heaven. Jesus, it says in John 17, he is eternal life. Like actually, heaven is not a place you go to. It's actually, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. So heaven isn't necessarily a geographical space. It's actually humans being with Jesus fully. And we live in this middle ground on earth where we get to be in relationship with Jesus while yet not fully in relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? And so it's not a means to an end. The relationship with Jesus, our relationship, our spiritual connection with Jesus through faith is the end. It is the thing that we should be looking for and pursuing. And so godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's, in a sense, a reward. It's how the kingdom works. It's how Jesus works. It's whenever we operate according to the ways of the kingdom or the ways that Jesus instructs us, there is a reward that comes with it. Not because we earned it, but because we are in relationship with the eternal God. And he's full of peace, full of joy, full of breakthrough, full of all of these wonderful spiritual and earthly expressions of, of just peace and perfection that we get to operate in if we enter into this faith relationship with Jesus. But I do want to point out here that, that it does say godliness. There's a lot of teachings, right, new age and spiritual teachings that are filtered through different sects of Christianity that will teach about positive vibes, teach about energy, right, teach about the law of attraction. It'll teach all these things about, now there's a Christian teaching about the power of your words, but there's also a, a secular teaching about the power of your words that if you send out positive vibes, right, the law of attraction says it'll come back to you positive. And and I do want to point out that it says godliness with contentment is great gain. That just being content is not great gain. But godliness, which is a pursuit of purity, godliness, which is a pursuit of righteousness before God, which is a pursuit in a running away from all the things that once marked us as humans before we came to know Christ. He's saying that godliness partnered with contentment brings a life that is full of gain or full of reward or full of you name it all of the positive and enriching characteristics that Jesus describes and so as we continue to uh, move forward I just want to express that Jesus again is the greatest teacher of contentment there is before we get into that Matthew 6 passage I just want to share three quick perspectives that will swallow up your contentment three perspectives that will swallow results driven living a quick way to never be content is always focus on results. A quick way to never be content with your life is to always focus on getting somewhere and always, and there's a difference between having goals, but a results-driven person is always worried and concerned about the results, whether that's their bank account, whether that's a relationship status, whatever it is, like that is the quickest way is just to focus on results. And there, obviously there's a balance, but I'm just saying these are the extremes. Second one is uh, comparison. Man, yeah, I can say we got, we've got it, not that other generations didn't have it tough, but we got a, we got a pretty tough 
culture to live in when it comes to comparison. Because you go on Snapchat, you go on Instagram, you go on YouTube, and you can literally compare like the number of followers you have with other people. You know what I'm saying? Like you can literally compare yourself, people posting on their stories about how great their life is, and you have all these different things, and we're constantly comparing ourselves. We have, we're probably the most Im- one of the most image-driven cultures um, in generations, and so you have people's bodies, and you have this body image, that body image, and it's just like crazy how much comparison is going on, and, and that is a quick way. I'm not telling you, like, listen, I'm just brushing it over. Like, we could do a whole message on comparison, but quickest way to not be content is to compare yourself to other people. That's just a really, just, if you don't want to be content, do that. Last thing is complacency. And uh, what I would just say is complacency is indifference. It's just like not having a desire to grow. So if you don't want to be content, just be complacent with your life and kind of be indifferent and unmotivated, if I can say it that way. So those are just three things. I mean, if, if these hit you, I, I shared those because I, feel like, I felt like some people, would, it would hit them and it would drive them to like really um, think about their life and think about an area of growth that they can maybe pursue and bring to Jesus. Um, so as we talk about Matthew 6, Jesus is the greatest teacher of contentment. We're going to break through this, break down this passage in Matthew 6. It says this in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. If you guys have your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, it's on the screen here. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Oh, Jesus, that's, thanks for that. (laughs) All kidding aside, I I know there's probably about 70% of you that really deal with anxiety. And and I share this verse with you because the scriptures have the power to break down strongholds. The scriptures have the ability to in a way like nothing else. It just like, it clicks for you and, and the Holy Spirit can come in and really start to, to recalibrate your mind and, and, and change the way that you view yourself and your future and your, your everyday living. If Jesus would never tell us not to be anxious if it wasn't possible. He would never tell you to not be anxious unless he gave you the power and the strength and the, and the ability to actually be in a, in a type of relationship with him in which you didn't have to be anxious. There's a way of living with Jesus in relationship with him that, that it actually eliminates all anxiety. Some of you are like, I can't even imagine that. Listen, Jesus, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus who can carry our burdens and show us a new perspective and change our hearts and even change our brain chemistry and change, the, like, change everything because he's that good and his message of Grace and forgiveness and transformation of life and repentance is actually one that, that we're meant to live in. So he says, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what clothes you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Listen, let's slow down here. Like Jesus is telling you to do something. He's telling you, like, listen, like contentment is about slowing down. Go outside and look at the birds. They have a dialogue with Jesus in prayer of just like, man, God, you take care of these birds. Like, and just, just contemplate. He's talking about like meditating in prayer in nature. Like he's actually giving us instructions on what to do. Do not be anxious, now do this. Think about this. He's telling you how to think about your life when it comes to contentment. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Man, he's a good father. He takes care of us. 
Are you not more of value than they? Oh my gosh. So what is he saying here? He's saying so much of anxiety is because people don't see their value. So much of our lack of contentment is because we're so insecure that we don't know that we're value. We're, we're not comfortable in our own skin because we think we need to measure up and compare ourselves among ourselves. And we, we do all these things because we're so ashamed of who we are, insecure of who we are. And Jesus brings in this message of, hey, go outside, look at this, now, now think about this. How much more value are you as a human than the birds? And look at how God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you because you're an image bearer of God? You're a son, you're a daughter. You are a human being that has literally the imago Dei, the very same nature of who God is he placed inside of you. You are important to your heavenly father. You guys seeing this? Jesus is the greatest teacher of contentment. Right here, he's giving you a lesson on contentment. In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? (laughs) Jesus is bringing it. Man, how many times I worry about things that I have no control over? And that steals my contentment. It steals my peace. It steals all these things just because I'm, I'm worrying and I'm, and I'm trying to control things that are totally out of my control. And Jesus is just saying, like, listen, you go outside. Look at this. No, you're so valuable. He takes care of the birds. He'll take care of you. Now, listen, think about this. He's telling you to think literally, like logically. He's telling you to consider, like, is, is worrying, does it benefit you? He's, asking, he's like telling you to do a, like a thinking exercise. Does it benefit you to worry? Well, it's like, well, no. You can't add a single hour to your lifespan by worrying. And actually, it's contrary. If you worry, your blood blood pressure goes up, right? A lot of things can go wrong. You actually hurt your lifespan if you worry and if you're anxious and you're panicky at all times. It says in verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the valley. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And he's, he throws that you of little faith in there because I think sometimes, sometimes we need the Heavenly Father who loves us, but I think sometimes we need the Heavenly Father who needs to tell it to you straight. That a lot of times anxiety and a worry-filled life is because we actually aren't living in faith. It's because we're living in fear and we're living in our own ability, our own reason, and our own control of our lives. And Jesus, like a good father, like a good friend, tells you, start living in faith. Start trusting Jesus. Start trusting Jesus. This is the greatest teaching on contentment you will ever learn. This is the greatest teaching on learning to live a godly and content life. It's a simple life that Jesus is instructing. Now, does it make our lives uh, less complicated, right, with drama, with family, and problems with finances? It doesn't make life less complicated, but he actually gives you the way in which to navigate complicated issues. It's trusting him in relationship, in thinking thinking deeply about his role in our lives. Let's keep reading. Here he says, therefore, do not be anxious. He's like, do it again. Don't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. Okay, thanks, Jesus. We'll, we'll try. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen, uh, let's go to verse 32 and think about this for a second. It says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. 
I'll say this, the Christian life is supposed to be marked by contentment. Because if we go through trials and we respond, react, and behave in the same manner as an unbeliever would, what makes us any different? Do we just have a get out of hell free card? Is that what we're going for? No, you see, the Christian life is about a transformation of character and a transformation of our life in which the way we used to respond, we no longer respond that way. And he's calling us to say, no, your life is supposed to be separate. The Gentiles, they worry. The Gentiles, they strive. They hustle. The Gentiles, they do all those things. But Christians, because not because of it, it's because they have a heavenly father who loves them. They have a heavenly father who loves them and will take care of them. That's the difference between, like, that's the difference between the Christian and the Gentile is their trust. Their trust in themselves or the trust in a heavenly, unseen, invisible God who came and sent himself in Christ to take care of us, not just our immediate needs, but our eternal needs. So uh, let's keep going here for the Gentiles. Okay, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So let's go to verse 33. The, the greatest teaching on contentment is this. Seek first God's kingdom. That's the greatest teaching on contentment that you could ever live is like live your life in pursuit of Jesus. Like Jesus is not a means to an end. If you're full of depression right now, you don't go to Jesus so you can get free from depression. Like you go to Jesus because he transform your, transforms your life and puts you on mission and changes you. And then in the process, he gets rid of depression, right? It's not a means to an end. Jesus, he says, seek first the kingdom, which is a fancy word for seek first God's way. Seek first what God is doing in our life and what he has done on the cross and what he has done in his resurrection. Seek first the things of God and all the things that you worry about, they'll be taken care of. That's an amazing promise. And I love the little last verse that says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Like today, you have enough problems today, don't worry about tomorrow. Doesn't mean you shouldn't plan. But you shouldn't worry. Um, yeah, man, this is just so good, isn't it? So Jesus is the greatest teacher of good. Sorry. Jesus is the greatest teacher of contentment there is. And it's not only, as I, as I kind of wrap this up, it's not only that this teaching in Matthew 6 is the greatest teaching, which I believe it is. Jesus himself, as, as an alive person, is the greatest teacher. Because Jesus isn't an idea. He's not a concept or a principle. Jesus is a person who still is teaching and helping us today. And so in relationship with Jesus, we learn the art of being content. It's not a discipline in which you have to strive for. It's actually God desires, and my challenge to us is not to try to be more content after this. But my, my, um, my encouragement is to 
actually go to Jesus and ask him yourself to teach you how to be content. Because even the idea of contentment your idea of contentment is clouded by an American image of what contentment actually is. Your image of contentment is polluted by your fleshly mind. And so you actually need Jesus to teach you how to be content. And so in a relationship with Jesus, a personal dynamic relationship with Jesus, you go to him and say, Jesus, would you just teach me to be content? Jesus, would you teach me how, how to navigate my feelings of anxiety? Would you teach me how to, how, to, how, to, how to manage my worry? Would you teach me? Because he knows you. He knows what you need. We read that. He knows what you need before you need it. Jesus, teach me how I can be content. And in the process, there's great gain. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. It's better than financial gain. It's better than relationship gain. It's better than any of, these, I, any of these things that we so desperately want. Contentment is the secret ingredient to a life filled with peace and blessing. And so it's not trying to prove our goodness, but these spiritual disciplines of our, are about consistently doing things in relationship with Jesus. So as you go from today, I'm going to give you three tips, just three little takeaways, a little more practical takeaways to start living in this contentment lifestyle. And, uh, but I'm going to kind of give an overarching idea, like this overarching idea that, um, that relationship with Jesus needs to be at the center of all these things, that if you just do these things, you only have contentment. But the godliness part is when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, and then you ask him to te like, teach you to be content, if that makes sense. So the first thing is um, seven minutes daily. Okay, I'm going to explain this. Seven minutes daily. So take seven minutes daily to train your brain and ask Jesus to teach you what it means to be content. Seven minutes. The reason I say seven minutes, it's realistic. If you, if you say, I don't have time for seven minutes, I'm going to slap you. Okay, I, I, will just, I will just slap you because you have seven minutes, okay? So Dr. Caroline Leaf explains in one of her books that if you take seven intentional minutes per day, you'll start rewiring your brain chemistry. Like literally rewiring your brain chemistry to start actually being more content, positive, and have that type of like a thankful outlook on life. But if you don't, you'll naturally regress into toxic thinking of negativity, complaining, and whether it's comparison or, or complacency. So take seven minutes a day and to do something. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach me what I need to do. But take seven minutes a day. If you do that for 21 days, literally journal what your emotions and your body was telling you before the 21 days. And then go and journal how you felt after 21 days of just doing seven minutes. And you'll be like, holy moly, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. Not because it's easy, but because when you invite Jesus into the mix and the Holy Spirit, he just, he just blows us away by his grace if we just take the, that, those, that intentional time. Um, second thing would be to start a thankful journal. Um, once again, this isn't like a discipline that you need to do, need to do, but as you do it, you invite Jesus into your thankful journal. You invite the relationship with Jesus into this like, Jesus, start teaching me how to be thankful. Don't do like the third grade thing where you're going around the dinner table at Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for my house. You know, like the, 
just to say something, but like genuinely take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, like show me what like I, I should be thankful for here, like in my life, and just journal, just start being thankful. It says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for your life. Like it's God's will for us to be thankful. Like you want to know your future, like your future will, the God's will for your life, start off by being thankful. <laughs> Start off by, by learning the art of being content. And lastly is um, activate gratitude. So this is like literally the action of start being thankful in everyday life, whether that be to your parents, whether that be to a boss, whether that be to a coworker, whether that, just look for ways to be uh, thankful. And then as you do that, invite Jesus into it and invite the Holy Spirit to show you how to be content um, in your environment, whatever that environment is. And he'll, he'll start developing this crazy relationship with Jesus in, in which like, you just see things so differently because he's, he's just showing you how to be content in every situation. He's showing you that when your boss is a jerk, co-worker is a jerk, or he's showing you when your family's so difficult that like, man, like, there's still so much good around me. And that the more I focus on that, the more, out, the, the more powerful I am and the more thankful I am and the more peace I have because my peace isn't determined on how good things go. My peace is determined by the, the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus. Give me a thumbs up if this is making sense. That's awesome, guys. I'm, just, I'm so passionate about this message. It's, it's one of the things that I've, I've, I don't know, lived out the last, the last probably seven years. And I just can say that I've had ups and downs in my journey of it, but I... Whenever I come back to these verses and scriptures, it just reminds me of how simple life is and how much of an impact we can have on our, on our worlds just by being content and being thankful for whatever situation we find ourselves in. So would you guys uh, bow your heads and close your eyes as we kind of close out? <sighs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. And we just so, God, we are thankful. God, that we're alive. We're just thankful for the Holy Spirit that is God, inside of us, and you made us new. We just thank you, God, for God, the friends that we have, the community that we have here, the ability to worship. God, we're just so thankful that, God, you are doing something in our lives that's so much bigger than what we've earned, God, or what we can prove. God, you're doing something and turning us into someone that is, that is pleasing in your sight, God. So I just pray that as we, as we go from this place, that we truly would grasp this idea that godliness with contentment is great gain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, go ahead and give it up for Pastor Jake. Awesome, awesome word.